<clears throat> Hare Krishna, good morning. Welcome to the Sunday Bhagavatam class. Uh, today we begin with uh, Canto 1, Chapter 16, Text 21. <clears throat> Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya so, Arakshamana uh, Striya Urvivalan Shochasyato Purushadari Vartan Vacham Deving Brahmakule Kukarmani Abramanye Rajakule Kulagriyan so here Parikshit is uh, questioning the bull. No, I'm sorry. Dharma in the form of a bull is questioning the cow. The bull represents Dharma and the, the cow represents the earth. So in asking these questions, actually, um, the bull is revealing, the bull of Dharma is revealing the symptoms of Kali Yuga or all of the failings of uh, a miserable society. So these questions give us really a list of all the things that are seriously wrong with our society. So, so the bull begins, Arakshamana Astriya Urvivalan Shochasi. So Shochasi, the, the implied question is, do you lament, Shochasi, you lament for Striya, the women who are Arakshamana, who are not being protected, literally is what it says. It's a passive present participle, arakshamana, the women who are not being protected. Men on average have twice the upper body strength as women. Women have other strengths and other abilities that often men lack, but, but still, in terms of physical strength, men are much stronger. They tend to be twice as strong on average. So if you have one group that is physically much stronger, they're supposed to protect and not exploit those who are physically less strong. So here, so if the women are not protected, as Arjuna pointed out, this is basically what Arjuna said in chapter one of the Bhagavad Gita. If the women are not protected, they will be exploited. They will end up in inappropriate uh, unions with men, this will produce children who, according to modern science, this is not just ancient conservative, uh, an ancient conservative religious idea. Modern science has shown that children that do not grow up in a proper home with the united mother and father 
uh, are much more likely to commit suicide, to be economically poor, to commit antisocial acts, criminal acts, to, to end up in jail, and many other things. So this concern about women not being protected and therefore being exploited, which is a condemnation of men of bad character, this is a reason for suffering. It's a major reason for suffering on the earth. And that's the first question. Urvi means on the earth. Uh, are you lamenting for the women who are not being protected or Balan, the children? Because obviously, I mean, women generally raise children. That's the normal or most common way. So if the women are not being protected, the children will, will be exploited also. So Arakshamanastriya Urvi Balan Shochasi Atta or Purusha Dairi Vartan. And and because they are not being protected, the women and the children, uh, they are being afflicted by or exploited by or suffering because of Purushada, which literally means cannibals, human man eaters. Uh, Prabhupada translates it here, cannibals or rakshasas. So, so eating here is purusha ada, uh, purusha ada, which means ada means eating. This is related to the word anna, like uh, say anamrita pow and so on. So, um, eating in the Vedas is often used symbolically to me in the sense that there are eaters and there are the eaten. There are the exploiters, those who exploit, those who take advantage of, and those who are exploited or taken advantage of. And so Purusha here means not only literally man-eaters or cannibals, but also uh, the women, the unprotected women and the children are being afflicted by, exploited by bad people. So we see this all over the world. This is not um, this is not a mystery. You can see it everywhere. So another question, in other words, asking, is this the cause of your suffering? And in doing so, enumerating all of the worst features of Kali Yuga, Vachan Deving, Brahma Kulei Kukarman. Are you lamenting for the speech goddess? Uh, Saraswati, or simply Vak? or watch speech, because speech is very powerful. Ultimately, uh, by speech, people enlighten, they threaten, they make threats, they intimidate, they comfort. So speech really, if you even see how dictators, cruel dictators take power, it's because by their speech, they convince other people to... Uh, join them and commit violence on the innocent. And so speech really makes the world go around. Everything is moving in this world because of speech. And so if speech is protected, which means that uh, <clears throat> just like in, in a normal country, you cannot say something which is say slanderous or to give the common example, if you're in a crowded place like a stadium or a theater, 
You cannot falsely, knowingly falsely yell there's a fire which will cause people to stampede and people will be killed and trampled. So there are limits to speech. And speech is supposed to be under the protection of the brahmanas because the brahman class, the teachers, the religious leaders, spiritual leaders, they are the caretakers of honest, good speech. And, and of course, they're supposed to be the best speakers because they're the most intelligent, the most clever. So speech is supposed to be under the protection of the Brahmins. And here, uh, the bull says, Brahmakule Kukarmani, are you lamenting for speech, uh, the speech goddess who now is in the Brahmakule, the Brahmana community, but a particular Brahmana community that is Kukarmani, that uh, engages in evil acts or mis or bad actions. <clears throat> they do bad things. And so rather than the goddess speech being under the care of pure-hearted Brahmins now, uh, and you see that, you know, the so-called, I mean, where there's no better place to look than the modern Western universities which tend to be highly, uh, what's the word, tilted toward or, or under the control of uh, scholars who are atheists, who ridicule religion, uh, who uh, want to tear down society. It's, it's interesting. Uh, Marx, Karl Marx, one of my absolute favorites, um, he saw that two, that the, the perhaps the two major obstacles to the revolution he wanted, the two major obstacles were the family and religion. Because people who are attached to religion uh, do not want to necessarily go out on the street and start killing other people, people who actually are seriously pious. And family, when, when, uh, People, man, men and women are attached to their family, to their children. They don't want to put their children in danger. And so part of the leftist program, which you can still see today in the universities, is to tear down religion and to ridicule the idea of a faithful marriage. Like, you know, they these so many of these so-called scholars ridicule the idea that there's something particularly pious or virtuous or important, necessary, in a faithful marriage. And uh, the idea that illicit sex, just having sex here and there, if there's anything wrong with that, uh, you know, it's just, it's just uh, insufferable, uh, an insufferable abrogation of our natural rights, rights to be animals, to be lusty animals. So um, you can see it. You can see it in Marx, you can see it. And so, and so speech in other words the the speech of the intellectuals the speech of the scholars is literally now in kukarmani brahmakule kukarmani in it has now been trapped in communities that uh do everything possible to destroy uh decency and uh god consciousness not all of them but many of them and the ones who may not feel that way are intimidated and wouldn't dare to challenge the uh, the demonic scholars 
for fear of being humiliated or even losing their jobs. So, Parikshit, I'm sorry, the bull is asking, the, uh, the, the, the cow, the dharma is asking the earth, are you lamenting for the speech goddess who now uh, finds herself in the communities of Brahmins who engage in evil deeds? So, Abramanye, Rajukule Kulagriyam, or are you lamenting for the uh, Kulagriyan, which means the uh, highest of communities, which is the Brahmin community, which itself now is uh, in the community of kings who are against the Brahmins. And so this is kind of this kind of explaining what does it mean that the Brahmakule, that that speech herself, the goddess speech, is under the control. Of, of brahmanas who engage in evil acts and the brahmins in general are somehow trapped in governments or have to work under governments which are against brahminical principles because Raja Kule, the royal community in, in modern terms, it simply means government, the ruling powers. And so that kula, that community, which is supposed to be agriya, the highest, the highest community is now under the control of governments that oppose Brahminical principles. So uh, these descriptions of Kali Yuga are quite accurate. We can see them everywhere in our own society. So now we'll go to the next verse. Uh, King Rashtra, King Kshatra, King Kshatra Vandhun, Kalinopasprishtan. Uh, so, um, is it, Kim, is it that, like, uh, uh, Kim in introducing the question, like, is this the cause of your suffering? In other words, are you lamenting? Uh, are you lamenting for the chapter of Andhun? The, uh, again, as Prabhupada always explained, the Kshatriya friends, in other words, people who are born in Kshatriya families but are not really qualified, and so therefore they're politely called the friends of Kshatriyas. And so Kalina, by Kali, Upasrishtan, which means either they're being afflicted by Kali or they've been unleashed, they've been unleashed on human society by Kali. And uh, or Vamis, or are you lamenting for Rashtrani, the kingdoms or the countries that tire by those unqualified leaders of Aropitani are dragged down, are being taken down. So, so the whole society is being taken down by these unqualified leaders who have been unleashed on the world by Kali Yuga. And then another symptom of Kali Yuga which we can see itas tato, which literally means from here, from there, uh, or here and there, which is a way of saying everywhere. Itas tato va, or is it that ashana pana vasat snana yavayon jiva lokam? Is it that, are you lamenting for the jiva loka, human society, in which people are unmuka, they're enthusiastic, 
or inclined. Unmuka literally means to put your face up towards something, to lift your to lift your face toward Unmuka. Un means up, Ud, and then Muka means face. So literally lifting your face towards something, which uh, Unmuka. And then vimuka, the opposite means sort of one is downcast, but unmuka in the Sanskrit dictionary means raising the face. That's literally looking up or at. And it means also like you're looking up, you're waiting for, expecting something. Uh, or you're uh, enthusiastic about something. You're looking forward to something. So here... Uh, The idea is that uh, the jiva loka, people in this world today are unmuka. They are, Prabhupada said, inclined, which is an excellent translation. They're inclined toward uh, asana, eating, drinking, vasa, dressing, snana, bathing, vivaya, sex, but itas tato, like anywhere and everywhere. So it's not that you know, people sit down together in a civilized way and offer thanks to God and then respectfully eat. No. Now they have food courts. People just walk around eating. They, you know, eating has become very informal. So there's no, and so in that very, very informal way of eating, it's people are not inclined to remember that their food is a gift to say grace, to thank God for their food, to eat respectfully, to eat the right things, just anywhere and everywhere. People eat, pana, or drink, vasa, they just, you know, they dress themselves in any which way. Uh, it's the age of slobbery, people. And, and, and snana, uh, bathing, again, there's no uh, bathing anywhere, bubaya, sex. So the idea is that people are... Uh, just do whatever they want with their bodies anywhere they want to do it. And uh, any, uh, uh, let's say, um, formality or, uh, as I put it, not shyness, but um, modesty. Uh, you know, modesty or uh, propriety or doing the right thing in the right place. Something should be done in private. The formalities, which are not simply silly, but often formalities bring us to a proper state of consciousness because a formality literally bring, gives form to something. It gives structure to it. And so the modern life is just, um, yeah, it's wild. It's wild. And uh, formality, the form of things has been lost. People do not associate their basic bodily activities with God. They just They're just running around to use an old term, helter skelter. So that's another symptom of Kali Yuga. And then finally, in a sense, the real cause of all these troubles, Yadva, or is it? Amba, mother or lady, good lady. Te Bhuri Bara Vatara Kritavataras Kritavatara. This is very poetic Sanskrit. Kritavatara Syaharir. Dharitri, uh, Antarhitasya Smarati Visrishta Karmani Nirvana 
vilambitani. So is it that, I mean, this is a very sort of ornate, uh, sophisticated syntax, the way the words are, but to, to put it in simple Sanskrit or simple English, the idea is, uh, it's understood, are you lamenting uh, that, uh, is it that you are remembering, smarati, is it that you are remembering that you have now been visirsta, abandoned, or uh, uh, nirvana vilambitani, or are, there, are you remembering, now that you've been left by Krishna, are you remembering Karmani, his activities, which are nirvana vilambitani, which bring about liberation, nirvana, Vilambitani and Vilambitami just means that they 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 bring this about, they're connected to it. Uh Vilambitani obviously refers to uh the activities of Krishna. Uh depend so um yeah, just uh, depending on, depending on. So uh, is it that you are now remembering the activities, nirvani, the activities which, uh, upon which our, our salvation depends. Are you remembering those activities upon which our liberation, our nirvana depends? Those activities of uh, Hari, Harer, who, avatarasya, who descended, who came as an avatar in order to carry out the bringing down of the burden of the earth. So avatara can mean crossing down. The Lord comes down to this world. You can also mean bringing down. So the word avatar is used twice in this sort of very interesting literary compound. Bhuri vara. Bhuri means abundant or heavy. Bhuri vara, the heavy load, the heavy burden. Avatara, to take down the heavy burden. It's like if you're carrying some very heavy thing on your back and someone comes and takes it off your back and says, well, you know, I'll carry this. So taking down, the, in, order to, in order to bring down the heavy burden, uh, you, Krishna, uh, or Krishna, enacted his avatara in which he comes down. And so are you remembering, and then Taritri, O, o Earth, uh, it's an address to the Earth, and who's now antarhitasya, who's now vanished, who's now disappeared. Krishna's now disappeared. So are you remembering the activities of uh, Hari, Krishna, those activities which upon which we depend for liberation, activities which he enacted as an avatar which brought down the burden of the earth. So that's actually what it means, literally, and that Krishna, Hari, who has now disappeared. And so disappeared in Sanskrit, Antarhita literally means he has placed himself within. Yeah, it's very interesting because Krishna is still present, but he's just gone within. He's now within uh, and not externally visible. He's within his own spiritual space, which is more subtle than physical space, and therefore is called within Antarhita. Anyway, this is the uh, common word for disappearing, antardhana, antarhita, and so on. So ultimately lamenting, the earth is lamenting 
that Krishna has now gone and the earth is remembering how Krishna took away all the troubles of the earth and by doing that uh, facilitated our liberation, liberation for all of us. So, idang mama chakshwa tavadi mulang vasundare jaina vikarshit vikarshitasi kalena vate valinam baliyasa surarjitam king hritam amba sobagam. So, we'll do that next week. Uh, we'll do that next week, and I think I'll stop here. And I'll just take a look to see if there are any comments. I was just reminded to look for questions. Um, thank you all for coming. Thank you for your questions and comments. Uh, again, if you put question marks, uh, then um, you can see, oh, Jagat Palana. If protection of women is only physical, this would imply that Arjuna feared women would be raped. No, it's it, it's not only physical. Women are not just animals that you just physically protect. Uh, protection means to protect another person, and women in many ways protect men. Protection simply means to protect someone from anything that will seriously harm them. And so, for example, receiving bad advice or being seduced, which happens, uh, you know, men seduce women, women seduce men. So protection is to protect a person from anything that will cause them significant harm. And so that's what it means. We also hear that women need to be protected because they're like young teenagers with little self-control and psychophysically not self-sufficient. Well, glad we're not dealing with any controversial topics here. Um, in the real world, uh, men, sometimes good men protect women, and, and often women protect men. So uh, I know many women who are not like young teenagers with little self-control. And, uh, yeah, I know many women who are intelligent and... Uh, to our leaders and do all kinds of amazing devotional service. And someone can say, okay, well, that's only among devotees, but not really. I mean, in the material world, there are women who lead huge corporations who are, uh, you know, leaders of countries and, and so on. So um, men, women like men are different. You know, some women are helpless and some men are helpless and some women are, uh, capable of doing amazing things, and some men are. So uh, what I would recommend is that we treat people personally, that if we, if men who deal with women or women who deal with women, uh, everyone should be understood according to their real nature. See that effulgence coming upon me? Anyway, um, so the women, I work with many women, and I know many women, and... Uh, I try to understand them on a personal individual basis and then deal with them accordingly, appropriately, rather than applying to them a sort of a categorical 
analysis, which like the one just given here in many cases would simply not be accurate and would lead me to treat women inappropriately in a way which is harmful to them and therefore harmful to society. Uh, let's see if there's anything else. In current times, is it best to increase free speech or introduce some cancel culture? <laughs> That's a very interesting question. <laughs> is it best to increase free speech or introduce some cancel culture? Uh, I believe that uh, speech should be intelligent and reasonable and accurate. And so the real enemy of humanity is not just the left or the right, but fanaticism, extremism. And we know for a fact, it's anyone that has even a little bit of common sense knows this, and it's even neurologically verified that um, it's like the bell curve, you know, that there are some people, there are, there are fanatics on the left and there are fanatics on the right. And they are the real danger to society. Whereas people who are sort of moderate and reasonable can see both sides and, and can come to balanced conclusions. So, um, yeah, the real problem is extremists, fanatics, and so on. Oh, there's Hubby. Hare Krishna, my old friend Hubby. So, Leelakar, uh, it's, it's self-evident that when Sudhir Prabhupada was writing these purports, he was way ahead of his time. How did these realizations come to him? Uh, to be fair, um, the, let's say, the critique of modernity, seeing that many new things were happening or, or becoming established in society that were not healthy and not good for people. Uh, this is something that many thinkers in the West uh, were pointing out for a very long time. Uh, if we look at, if we, uh, if we look at history, let's say Western history, and even if we say, let's look at Western intellectual history, like the history of what people thought, um, what thinkers thought, there have always been conservatives. There have always been people who were, you could say, pious or religious, and who very clearly saw the degrading effects of modernity. I mean, some modern things are good. For example, in the modern world, we can we can propagate Krishna consciousness publicly, which we could not do in more conservative times in the West. So sometimes, unfortunately, you know, things have to open up indiscriminately in order for the devotees to get through the door. And, you know, you could say, well, why didn't people in the West just say, okay, you can preach Krishna consciousness, but in other things, we're going to be very conservative because that's just not the way the real world is. It's, 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 it's just not the way the real world is. It's, it's highly unrealistic. And so therefore, in a sense, everything has opened up. So all the garbage came in, but also Krishna consciousness came in. So now that Krishna consciousness is established, um, 
The real hope is the Brahmins, that we have to be reasonable and we have to teach people to be reasonable and balanced and to understand what is ultimately important. So again, Prabhupada saw these things, but if we're going to be historically accurate here, there were um, many, many thinkers in the world who also saw these things. So, um, Jagoranga does. Can we, how can we understand the controversial statement that women are less intelligent? Um, Prabhupada was not against science, and Prabhupada would adjust his opinions as he received scientific information. So ultimately, how should we think? I think we should think that uh, as devotees, we should accept things that are objectively shown to be true, and that Prabhupada would also object uh, would also accept things if they could be demonstrated to Prabhupada that they were objectively true. And when Prabhupada was here and making statements like this, there were not devotees who were presenting information to Prabhupada, and when reliable information was presented to Prabhupada, he would tend to adjust his statements. This is on material things, obviously on spiritual things, uh, there's nothing to adjust. So another question from Jagaranga, I see that in Brazil, many devotees fight over political views and for or against some political figure. How can we see Krishna in politics? Um, The problem is, frankly, that even among devotees, there are people who tend to be a little too passionate and uh, come to extremist conclusions. Again, the, pro the problem, whether it's among devotees or non-devotees, is extremism and sort of being half educated in a particular subject. People who, let's say, know more, uh, I think, can come to, can, to reasonable conclusions. They can come to reasonable conclusions. So in, let's say, left-wing and right-wing extremism, there are many problems. And devotees should be balanced, see the problems on both sides, see whatever good there is on whatever side, and then come to a reasonable conclusion that is in line with Shastra. As I've said before, uh, we're supposed to be following our own Krishna conscious philosophy as presented by the Lord Krishna, by Lord Krishna, by Lord Chaitanya, by Prabhupada, by the Shastras. And our Shastras, like Bhagavatam and Gita, include political philosophy. So our, our duty is not to jump on the bandwagon of, of this or that sectarian or fanatical political movement, but to rather teach, as Brahmins, the political philosophy found in our own Shastras. And if we're doing that, then it's very easy to see Krishna there. So, Brindavanath uh, Das, Brindavanath Das, can you speak a bit about the interplay of culture and spiritual advancement? With the continuing moving needle of culture, often changing, degrading quickly, where shall devotees place their connections, affiliations to support advancement? We can't rely on culture to support a bhakti lifestyle. Well, for example, before we eat, we offer our food. And that kind of puts the brakes on 
gluttony or hopefully, or just, you know, being like an animal, like I'm starved, I'm hungry and just feeding your face. If you have to stop, if you have to offer to Krishna, if you can only eat certain things, then, then those things uh, protect us from just sort of animalistic eating. Uh, and uh, as far as the moving needle of culture, it's an interesting image there. Um, we have our own culture. We have to adjust to some extent because, uh, you know, the way the modern world is, but we are meant to, and, and, and we have to make a real clear distinction here between ethnic details and culture. Culture means, for example, that you offer your food to Krishna and you offer to Krishna certain foods in the mode of goodness. Uh, mere, I mean, it, it doesn't mean that you have to cook, let's say, with Indian recipes or it just means that you eat food. Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita talks about food in the three modes of nature. He doesn't mention any particular ethnic or regional cuisine. He just talks about the, the food in the mode of goodness, passion, and ignorance. And of course, a lot of food, which a lot of devotees think is Vedic, is not even in the mode of goodness. So uh, therefore, Krishna does give us cultural standards. And ultimately, the Brahmins are supposed to be in the mode of goodness. They're supposed to teach the mode of goodness and, and build and protect in society a culture in goodness. So I think that's the point there. Uh, so another question here. Sita Prabhupada often quoted Manu Sanghita to argue that women should always be protected by the father, husband, etc. What role does Manu Sanghita play among Vaishnavas? First of all, the Manu Sanghita, whatever it was originally, is now a, a very corrupted text. It has some really awful things, like if a woman is unchaste, she should be thrown to wild dogs and just eaten alive. So there's a lot of stuff in, in the Manu Sanghita that's available to us today, which is extremely problematic. And uh, so in its present form, which pretty much there's widespread agreement, is it's a corrupted text, um, it would be very problematic to implement in human society. Women should always be protected. Yes, and older people should always be protected. Like my body is a certain age. I'm not going to, you know, I don't carry a gun and I'm not going to, you know, get in a street fight with someone. So, I mean, who in the world would not want to be protected? And uh, so as far as women, we know in many cases, women protect men by, you know, protecting them from degradation. And uh, so, again, women should be protected and and men should be protected also. In, in terms of how you protect women and how you protect men, it should be done in a personal way according to the needs of the person. You know, people should not be underprotected or overprotected. And so based on the character, the nature, the abilities of each person, we should protect them in a way that's appropriate so that we don't underprotect them or overprotect them. And people who are actually self-reliant should not be forced into dependence uh, which is beyond their actual need. So, for example, the police are meant to protect the citizens, but it doesn't mean 
I have a policeman at my door or a policeman living in my house. And so, you know, what does it mean to protect someone? How much protection does a particular person need? This all has to be done very intelligently, not foolishly. So, Sankarsana. Nowadays, people tend to favor separation of state and religion. Do you think we can still have good government based on non-sectarian moral principles? without tying these to specific religious or spiritual worldviews. Um, first of all, the reason that religion, state and religion were separated is because you had these bad religions that were uh, just harassing people, even killing people, innocent people in the name of religion. So we can say that, yeah, separation of state and religion, not Vedic, but you have to know the history. You have to know why that came about and what the dangers are. Um, can we still have good government and non-sectarian? I mean, basically every moral principle is religious or metaphysical. For example, if you say you can't rape or kill, that's a, that's a, a, a moral judgment. Some people who are probably among the least intelligent people currently walking on the face of the earth say things like uh, you can't impose your moral values on others. Well, if we can't impose our moral values, then how can you have a law against murder? After all, to say that it's a crime to kill somebody, that's a moral judgment. If you say that it's a crime to rape someone, that's a moral judgment. It, I'm not saying it, it's a false judgment. It's a correct moral judgment, but it is a moral judgment. So if we're not going to impose our moral views on others, we can't have any laws at all. But then there's still a problem because the idea that we shouldn't impose on others is itself a moral judgment. So if you say we shouldn't impose moral judgments, that is a moral judgment. And so therefore, it turns out to be the case that it is actually impossible. It is impossible not to impose moral judgments because by nature, people tend to live in communities and societies and they tend to make rules and if you say no rules, that's a moral judgment. And if you have rules, that's a moral judgment. So therefore, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as a human community that does not impose moral judgments. It doesn't exist, and it logically cannot exist. And therefore, people that say we shouldn't impose our moral views are really need help. I mean, they, they really need help because they are blind to the most obvious things in life. So the question is, which moral views? Democracy is the imposition of a moral judgment. After all, if we didn't impose any morals, it's just survival of the fittest, the law of the jungle. But even if you say we should have the law of the jungle, that's also a moral judgment. So, um, yeah, so first of all, we have to get clarity. First of all, we have to realize that there are people living among us who say incredibly unintelligent things like that we shouldn't impose our moral views and who have no idea what they're talking about. And the real issue here is which moral rule should we impose? Because you cannot not impose moral views. So the first thing is that the whole issue has to be framed in a more uh, reasonable way. So, uh, Okay, I think that's all the questions. If I missed anything, uh, you can always sue me.
just kidding. So um, thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. And uh, I hope we'll see you again soon. Hare Krishna, like next Sunday. <laughs>